Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the first political poll is out in the hotly contested race to unseat the embattled senior senator, and Congressman Andy Kim is leading First Lady Tammy Murphy by double digits. I don't think anyone is anywhere near the threshold where they should feel comfortable in this race, so there's a, a long race to go. Also, longtime political operative Craig Calloway is facing voter fraud charges. Anybody messing with mail and ballots needs to go. Uh, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Plus, get ready for a Midtown Terminal makeover. The bus terminal has become a poster child for failed legacy infrastructure that desperately needs to be replaced. The Port Authority announcing an overhaul for its bus depot to the tune of $10 billion. And a horse, of course. I didn't realize to the level that it, how much it teaches you about yourself, about, it's about the world. Overpeck Park in Leonia is now home to an equine emotional wellness center, also known as horse therapy. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJ PBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. It's game on for the state's marquee political race. Despite having the support of the Democratic Party organization and a war chest full of cash, First Lady Tammy Murphy is lagging behind her main opponent in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate. That's according to the first independent public opinion poll out today, showing Representative Andy Kim has a double-digit lead over Murphy. The Fairleigh Dickinson University survey is the first head-to-head -head look at the race to replace embattled senior Senator Bob Menendez, who's indicated he'll seek re-election but hasn't formally declared. As senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports, the devil, as they say, is in the details. Murphy is leading among a key voting constituency known to deliver big wins. Congressman Andy Kim supporters got some good news. Poll numbers for Jersey's premier political primary matchup show him well ahead of opponent Tammy Murphy in the contentious race for U.S. Senate that pits the third district Democrat against a first lady backed by the controversial but formidable county line. I was really excited to see the numbers. I mean, a strong double-digit lead four months before election day. In FDU's survey of about 500 likely Democratic voters, Kim collected 32%, 12 points more than Murphy. Indicted Senator Bob Menendez and labor activist Patricia Campos Medina both trail with single digits. Almost a third don't know who they'll support. Murphy scored a higher name recognition, but a lower approval rating than Kim. My favorable numbers are through the roof. <laughs> that was actually probably the strong favorable numbers I've ever seen or, or had in my career and that was statewide and also I, I felt like the poll really showed that we are the, the the campaign that has the most room to grow. Kim's support according to the poll comes mostly from suburban white liberals while Murphy polled higher with more moderate black and Hispanic Democrats. Poll director Dan Casino sees a culture clash. We have this big real revolt among liberal and progressive voters in New Jersey, the Democratic Party, who are saying no. 
we are against Tay Murphy, not because as he said, but because she has the party line. He says it highlights a deepening party divide over county bosses who control ballot placement. Murphy's also enjoyed easier access to party support as the wife of Jersey's Democratic governor. But poll results also show a big chunk of still undecided voters. Her chief campaign strategist says he pointed to the positives. We see the first lady putting together a really strong coalition of the type of voters that win Democratic primaries, uh, largely women and voters of color. That was great to see. Um, you know, I don't think anyone is anywhere near the threshold where they should feel comfortable in this race. So there's a, a long race to go. I don't know that this is causing sleepless nights in the Murphy household. However, Rutgers analyst Ross Baker says the FDU poll does underscore how this is not your run-of-the-mill no surprises primary. It's a barn burner that'll hang on voter motivation. Andy Kim, you know, has clearly a uh, has visibility in the state but I, I think more important i think he has people who are much more passionately devoted to him as a candidate this is basically going to be a ground game and there are going to be a lot of people a lot of counties with walking around money that's been given to them by the county chairs uh and in the end it'll turn out to be Tammy Murphy's show. Poll results show the incumbent, who again faces multiple corruption charges with massive 68% disapproval ratings. Meanwhile, Campos Medina, who entered the race just three weeks ago, felt encouraged despite a late start. So whilst progressives, women, voters of color, um, and that includes our Muslim American community, start to understand who is the real progressive on this race, they will start floating towards me. The poll included Campos Medina because she's a new candidate and a woman, Casino says. Perennial candidate Larry Hamm didn't make the cut. We don't have a lot of ev any evidence that he's got strong public support. We don't have a lot of fundraising. We don't have anyone else who's included his name in any polls. We asked Hamm for comment. He didn't respond. The primary's June 4th. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. A former Atlantic City Council president is facing charges again. Longtime political operative Craig Calloway has been arrested on federal charges of ballot fraud. Authorities allege Calloway organized a mail-in ballot scheme that allowed him to deliver large blocks of ballots to election officials that often swayed the outcome of the election. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, Calloway's political foes have long accused him of this fraud. Anybody messing with mail-in ballots needs to go. Uh, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Michael Suleiman is applauding the arrest and arraignment yesterday of Craig Calloway, a political operative who's worked on the campaigns of elected officials from both parties. He was charged by the U.S. attorney with election fraud for coordinating efforts to fraudulently cast mail-in ballots. After years and years of this blatant illegality, finally law enforcement is doing something about it, albeit late. Uh, we wish this happened years ago, but we are uh, vindicated that, you know, the efforts we've taken against this guy have at least paid off. Suleiman is chairman of the Atlanta County Democratic Committee that sued Callaway for what they say are years of election fraud and public corruption, saying he hired teams of messengers to procure ballots from the most vulnerable citizens, then return them fraudulently in support of Callaway's candidates. He's no stranger to the legal system. Callaway's already served time in federal prison for bribery and his role in a sexting operation. But after his release, he was hired by several prominent elected officials in New Jersey, 
including Congressman Jeff Van Drew in 2022. Well, maybe that's why he got away with it for all these years, because he has worked for both parties. Candidates have flocked to him because they get so desperate to win that they're tempted to use him. How aware do you believe those who used his services were of these untoward practices he was engaging in? Well, I think everybody knows uh, the rumors and everybody knows what's going on here for some elected officials to plead ignorance, like I've seen Congressman Van Drew do and the Selman Guardian and Senator Palestine is just disingenuous. And again, with the Democrats, the same thing. Callaway is nationally known for his shenanigans. Everyone in the state knows it. Everyone in Atlanta County knows it. The value and the significance and the importance that I place on the actions of Callaway is how much the Van Drew campaign paid him. They paid him $65,000, which is as much as they paid their campaign manager in 2022. They claim, Van Drew claims, I didn't know that anything wrong was going on. Well, everybody else did. And everybody else knew that that's what came with Craig Calloway's services, that that was what he did. So my question is simple. If you didn't know he was doing anything wrong, what did you think you were purchasing? Van Drew's campaign issued a statement saying he received nearly 140,000 votes in the November election, only 851 of which came from vote-by-mail ballots in Atlantic City, far fewer than his Democrat opponent, and his margin of victory was nearly 45,000 votes district-wide, adding, we never have and never would condone any illegal activity. Callaway most recently worked for the campaign of Atlantic City Democratic Councilwoman LaToya Dunstan, in the second ward, Dunstan won her primary in June by just six votes, swelled by a huge turnout of vote-by-mail ballots. We reached out to Dunstan for comment, but received no response. 2019, the Republicans running for the General Assembly came very close, and they argued that uh, Callaway helped the two Democrats running for the Assembly, which he did, quite frankly. So again, both parties are not... Um, uh, innocent of this. Callaway's attorney, Megan Davies, also hasn't replied to our request for comment. In a statement, U.S. Attorney for New Jersey, Philip Selinger, said, holding free and fair elections is a bedrock principle of our democracy. Today's charge reflects our office's commitment to hold to account those who try to undermine the electoral process. If found guilty, Callaway faces a minimum of five years in prison and a fine of $250,000. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. After being dubbed the single worst place on earth by Jersey commuters, the Port Authority bus terminal in Midtown Manhattan is finally in line to get a makeover. Transportation leaders on Thursday revealed plans for the new $10 billion facility that's expected to bring the rundown 73-year-old terminal into the 21st century. The only catch, you'll have to wait a few years to use it. Ted Goldberg reports. It's possible New York and New Jersey can actually get along, right? That depends on the topic. Most people can agree that the Port Authority bus terminal in New York City needs to be replaced, whether you ask people who run the buses or ride them. I think it's great. It's kind of old and run down. It'd be nice to see something new. The bus terminal has become a poster child for failed legacy infrastructure that desperately needs to be replaced. New Jersey's population is 9.3 million and growing. So, you know, almost double the population since this was built. So it is way past time to really uh, to, to uh, build a new terminal. Yesterday, the Port Authority unveiled ambitious renovation plans with a $10 billion price tag. They say the 73-year-old facility is too small and obsolete to get by with renovations or band-aids. Despite the efforts to rebuild and go from 1950 and fix in 1960 and 63 and 66, 1980, we have this. 
it is time to turn the page. It is time to spend $10 billion and get a new terminal. It is encouraging, I would say, from a short-term perspective. It's, it, hit hard, it hits hard on the wallet, I'm sure. Um, but from a long-term perspective, I think that's, that's the right move. Port Authority leaders say the plans include new ramps to and from the Lincoln Tunnel, only used by buses. Executive Director Rick Cotton says the new 2 million square foot terminal will be built entirely on Port Authority land with no eminent domain needed. The only local headaches will be construction noises. There will be a lot of construction in this neighborhood and it will impose serious inconveniences on the neighborhood. But we are trying to do what we can to make up for that. It will be a best-in-class facility with cutting-edge technology. It will be focused on an electric bus future with an emphasis on net-zero greenhouse gas emissions. Bus riders in Clifton told me how they would spend that $10 billion inside and outside the new station. It's newer updated restaurants, newer updated facilities, you know, restrooms, all the normal things that you know, people would like to see in like a new airport or uh, any type of travel hub would be helpful, beneficial. I think 10 billion will cover it. It's a lot of money. Um, I would like to see more money being spent, you know, on the buses themselves probably and on some of the stops. Nicer buses would be nice. Uh, probably thing, uh, you know, moving to something like electric, you know, or something that uses clean energy, that would be nice. The Port Authority needs federal approval before they can break ground, which could come later this year. If the plans are approved, the ramps would be built first, and the old terminal wouldn't be torn down until 2029. In Clifton, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, Holtec's legal troubles with the state are far from over. Attorney General Matt Platkin on Thursday filed an appeal with the state Supreme Court to ban the nuclear energy company from collecting a $260 million tax break awarded in 2014. In the petition, Platkin writes the Camden-based firm has a history of ethical issues, saying Holtec shouldn't be allowed to get away with lying on its application for the biggest tax break in state history. The appeal comes just days after Platkin announced a $5 million fine against the company for submitting false documents on a separate 2018 application. Holtank has denied any wrongdoing and, in a statement to NJ Spotlight News, pointed out the company already won this battle in lower courts. An appellate court last year ruled in Holtec's favor on the 2014 application issue, saying the form was confusing and poorly worded and blamed the state for failing to perform due diligence on applicants. You can read more about the ongoing controversy by checking out Jeff Pillett's reporting at njspotlightnews.org. On Wall Street, stocks edged up after a better-than-expected January jobs report. More than 353,000 jobs added, according to the Labor Department. Here's how the markets ended the week. And tune in this weekend to NJ Business Feed with Raven Santana. Analysts expect record air travel this year, so Raven's talking to aviation and transportation experts about travel trends for 2024. She visits Newark Airport's new Terminal A to learn how it's aiming to make the state a global destination. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. on NJPBS.
Tonight, we're taking a deeper look into a little talked about form of therapy, horses healing humans. We start by sharing the personal story of longtime Bloomberg News and Bergen Record journalist Elise Young, who just recently started writing about a brutal attack she endured two years ago on the streets of Trenton. The assault, she says, left her scarred physically and emotionally, but it also brought her back to a childhood passion and a way to heal her trauma, horses. Elise Young is with me now. Elise, I'm so thrilled to sit down and chat with you. Um, this is quite an ordeal that you've been through. As someone who's covered this state as a journalist, you sort of have found yourself on the other side of a really significant traumatic incident. Tell me what happened. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I live in Trenton and one morning two and a half years ago, about two and a half years ago, um, I spotted a woman on my street, a stranger. And I'll leave it to the courtroom for the details to come out, um, but um, she, she beat me. She attacked me uh, without any kind of provocation and um, she left me with a traumatic brain injury and severe um, facial trauma as well. You've gone through countless surgeries you wrote about in your personal essay. Uh, a lot of time healing internally, emotionally from uh, such an attack. What has that process been like for you? How are you processing it? Can you even at this point? I think I got through it um, Partly because of my past, I was um, born with a bilateral cleft lip and that required an awful lot of surgeries um, through the age of about 25. As this woman was beating me, I knew that my injuries were severe and I knew what was going to have to happen at some point when she was done beating me. And um, so it brought back a lot of memories for me of being a child and going through those surgeries dealing with kids who weren't very kind to me, uh, who bullied me quite a bit. After I um, healed after the, the rehab for the brain injury and after the surgeries to put my face back together again, there was a huge amount of internal damage. Uh, I started to seek a, a therapist to talk over this trauma and I just couldn't click with anybody. And then I remembered I'd always wanted to get back to horses, which was something I had done from the time I was very young, um, did it into adulthood, and then had to leave it behind for various reasons. And I figured horses were my safe and happy place to be, and horses are surrounded by caring people. And I thought, let me, let me give this a shot. Maybe it is time to get back to horses, and that, that's where it led me. They sometimes imitate the energy that you put out, right? At least in the experiences that I've had. What has it been like getting back to, I'll say, your roots um, in terms of having a horse, working with the horses, but also how has it enabled you to heal? It sounds like the past traumas and the current. It's brought me um, back into a community, certainly of horses, but also the people who surround horses. And whether you are the daughter of a billionaire or whether you're a person who mucks stalls to pay for lessons, horses don't know this, horses don't care, and neither do the people in your stable. We, we're all there to be surrounded by this 
beautiful, wondrous thing that you don't see every day, right? We don't have them in our backyard like our dog. We don't throw them in the car to go play Frisbee with. It's something so different, some, something that could, could hurt us very much. I've fallen off a thousand times, but it's also something that we trust and that trusts us. And I, I needed to trust people again. I needed to trust things bigger than me again. Elise Young, thank you for sharing uh, this really personal journey. There are uh, two personal essays that Elise has written which will be published on our website. You can check them out on Monday. Elise, thank you so much. Thank you. New Jersey is home to quite a few therapeutic horseback riding stables, but Bergen County recently opened the area's first ever equine emotional wellness center in Leonia. It's called A Stable Life. The team, both horses and humans, are dedicated to helping people through the toughest of times. As Raven Santana reports, the best part about healing with horses is that no words ever need to be exchanged. Off a busy highway just two miles away from the George Washington Bridge and nestled inside Overpeck County Park, you'll find more than 100 horses, ponies, and even donkeys here at Bergen County's first equine emotional wellness center, A Stable Life. Stable Life brings together horses and humans um, to establish the connection in a very non-judgmental, safe environment. So the wellness center is, um, it's, it's total. It's a very holistic approach. The majority of my clients are women who've experienced trauma. Um, I also work with veterans with PTSD. Anna Gassip is the founder of A Stable Life, which is the first equine wellness center in Bergen County. The center offers support to individuals who are dealing with trauma, anxiety, isolation, grief, domestic violence, and addiction. Gassip says the equine therapy program uses horses to facilitate growth and healing. I had a client who said, well, my English isn't, isn't that good. And I said, you know what? Horses don't speak English at all. It's okay. They don't speak English either. Let's, let's do this. Well, therapy sessions range about an hour and they can be done in group sessions or one-on-one. -on -one, and that involves everything from riding a horse or to just standing by one and feeding it. So you might have an issue that's showing, that's on the surface today that requires something different, that requires you to sit in a stall and just meditate and cry, and that's okay. So there, there are horses that I know because I know the horses, there are horses that I know that'll be like okay with that. Gassip says she currently has about 40 clients in total, many of which have been referred to by a number of agencies she works with, including the Bergen Family Center and the Covenant House of Newark. Almost all the agencies offer funding for individuals to receive treatment. So I, the reason why I came here, um, I was referred here, it started with my with the domestic violence with an ex-boyfriend. Working here with Anna, she really helped me, you know, try to work on myself and who I really am. Minus the alcohol, minus drugs, minus the abuse from boyfriends. Kathy Klein has been receiving treatment at the Wellness Center for about four months and says it's been a game changer for her. And with the group, they usually have a group of miniature horses. They come to you and we're kind of in the barn and they we're all sitting in a circle and then you'll have the miniature horses just kind of roam around you, kind of feel you out, feel how you're feeling today, what's your zone, like you're in a good mood and a bad mood. 
Klein is not alone. Dori Bortnicker, who is dealing with very different challenges, says the treatment has given her a new purpose and confidence in life. I didn't realize to the level that it, how much it teaches you about yourself, about, it's about the world. You see what you are living and how you're living your own life. GASIP encourages those who are struggling with mental wellness to try the therapy, especially if traditional therapy has been unsuccessful. You don't have to be tied to someone's couch or a chair for a year or years to come. You could have your eight weeks, 10 weeks, and have a beautiful life. You, you, there are alternatives. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. And finally, if the groundhog predicts it, it must be true. Essex County's resident groundhog, Lady Edwina, did not see her shadow this morning. So, of course, that means an early spring. The shadow part of this is a little questionable, though, since the event was moved indoors at the Turtleback Zoo due to the rain. We'll take it either way. Edwina also made her pick to win next weekend's Super Bowl, and she is all in on the Kansas City Chiefs. No word, though, if Edwina the Groundhog is a Taylor Swift fan. And that does it for us tonight. But make sure to tune in to Reporters Roundtable this weekend. David talks with Republican National Committeeman Bill Palatucci on what his party needs to do to recover from last year's legislative losses. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. That's Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NJPBS. And on Chatbox, can the self-proclaimed funniest lawyer in New Jersey win over hardline Trump Republicans? David talks with Republican State Senator John Bramnick about jumping into the 2025 governor's race. That's Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. right here on NJPBS. I'm Brianna Venosi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.